Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So uh, six days to Paris and suddenly things are looking a little different. The all-conquering Jumbo-Visma team have taken a few knocks. Primoz Roglic pulling out of the tour before the stage the Carcassonne even started. Stephen Kreuschwick uh, retiring after a crash. Jonas Vingogor himself put the yellow jersey on the ground alongside his teammate Tish Benut with 60k of the stage to go. And they both had to chase to get back level with Tadej Pogacar. So could we be set for a closer finish than we thought as we approached the Champs-Élysées? There have been some changes in the ruler team as well. Editor Ed Pickering is in Carcassonne, where the race are taking a well-earned rest day. But James Start is back in Paris, back home in Paris, after testing positive for COVID. James, how's it going? It was going good until this morning, but, you know, hey. It's the way the, the bird flies, I guess, with this thing. But uh, yeah, I was on the tour for, if you include Denmark, almost uh, almost three weeks. And, you know, people have been dropping like flies uh, every day. It's just kind of an incubator. And I've avoided this thing for almost three years. But I, I guess, you know, my time was up. And, you know, what can you say? You know, it's uh, it's just it's kind of a crapshoot. And um, finally, uh, you know, that they finally fell on the wrong side for me. Ed, there's going to be some uh, COVID tests in Carcassonne today among the uh, peloton. And I imagine people will be hoping the virus doesn't actually have a significant impact on the rest of the race. Yeah, of course. They'll. Actually, the, the testing was done immediately after the stage yesterday, same as the first rest day. What they actually did is just they set up a testing station just down from the team buses and all the riders had uh, whizzed up and down getting their tests done. Um, I haven't heard the results of the test. I've had my head down over a hot laptop in a hot, hotter Airbnb this morning, so I'm not sure if the results win yet as I speak. But um, yet yeah, last time there were no positives, surprisingly, for the official tests, and the tour will be hoping that there are as few as possible. But you know what we've seen through this race in the press room, in the tour, and you know with hearing from friends back home is that COVID is slowly spreading everywhere so I, I can't imagine we suddenly get a final week of the tour without more riders dropping out because of it but we'll, we'll see how it affects the race and we'll see see what happens I can't imagine that after that stage to Carcassonne the riders had to sit under a tent I, it was it was roasting James I mean you, you've yeah you you've probably got a slight fever probably almost as hot as your your fever actually but um yeah it was so so hot yesterday in Carcassonne and yeah, I imagine the riders were, yeah, yeah it's probably the, the least, one of one of the least favourite parts of their day. I mean, Tom Pidcock went and stripped down to his bib shorts and went and stood in the fountains in Carcassonne, which, 
I just envied him. I just wish I could get away with behaviour like that. You know, I can't, as a journalist, stripping off down to my shorts is probably not the, it's not what everyone wants to see, really. You should try it sometime. <laughs> you could have got the, you could have got the inside story in the fountain with Pitka. I'll, I'll do it tonight in Castelnaudary. So what has been happening since we last spoke? I mean, it seems like every day uh, we say, well, today's stage should be fairly straightforward. The teams might take it easy. And then every day it's just been a full-on battle to the line. Mads Peterson after that long breakaway. Uh, Michael Matthews win on that horrifically hard day uh, to the airfield at Mond. Uh, then all the drama of yesterday. Should we talk... Um, Shall we talk about Mads Pettersson? Once that breakaway was down to just him and a couple of other riders, it was only going to go one way, really, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I, sorry, I, I thought that once that breakaway went, it was going to be very difficult for the others to stop Mads Pettersson from winning because he's so resilient and he was easily the fastest sprinter among the seven. Um, remember that one, he was the only rider there with a teammate as well. So, you know, often if you get a fast sprinter in a group, of individuals from different teams um the other team the other riders know that and will work the sprinter over or attack and make him chase um Pedersen had Quinn Simmons to do that so I, I felt that Trek engineered that win right from the you know right from the moment there to two rides in the break and one of them was Mads Pedersen and yeah he he made it easier for himself by yeah he Quinn Simmons did the hard work in the kind of middle third of the stage and then Mads Pedersen kind of finished it off with an attack and then a, a a hard sprint but he's been very ambitious this tour um he was up there in the sprints in Denmark and he also put Trek to work yesterday on the stage to Carcassonne which Phillips and Jasper Phillips ended up winning you know Trek made that a very very complicated and interesting stage and I, I, I really you know they they kept me interested through you know those sprint stages often they're a bit soporific as they go on but Trek have you know they've come here with ambition and Pedersen's obviously you know feels he's on good form and can can he feels he can win from a, a smaller group. So yeah, they've, they've, they've done very well. Well, I think that the, the stage that Patterson won was, it incarnated how crazy this race has been. I mean, that was a race that could easily have been a standard breakaway or sprint stage. And yet it was, you know, it took forever for that break to get significant time. You never really knew if it was going to get across or not. And then when it did, um, you know, and, and everybody, they were moving so fast. I mean, I was on a moto that day. I never once was able to get around the race. Usually in a stage like that, you know, you get a couple of postcard shots in the beginning, uh, then pass the pack and, you know, place yourself, you know, whatever. Second half of the race, you kind of stay out in front and get the action stuff. We couldn't get around the, around the race all day. That's how fast they were going over these narrow roads. That's how crazy the racing was. Before we talk about Jumbo Visma and the details of where they are for the final week, can I just, and I know I'm biased, can I just um, put in a word for Fred Wright um, on that uh, stage, which Mads Pedersen won again, he's you know uh, he's having a brilliant uh, tour for a young rider, isn't he? He's been on almost every move. A brilliant, uh, a brilliant Tour de France for him. I've, I've been on the motor for several of the days where he's been up the road, and he just you know a lot of those days are a lot of people want to be on those breaks. Only and it seems like the same kind of guys are getting in the breaks every day. Fred's getting in. Quinn Simmons is getting in the breaks. You know. And these these are young kids, right? They're, they show on a lot of race savvy at the Tour de France. Actually, first of all, let's talk about um, the heat 
um, which has obviously been having an impact on the peloton. Ironically, um, yesterday we saw another, I think it was another climate protest uh, on the route. Um, the riders are saying this is the hardest tour they can remember. It certainly looks that way. Um, James, out of your sort of 30-odd tours, uh, can you think of a harder one for the riders? Well, there is obviously the 2003 tour uh, where we had a huge heat wave. Um, you know, I mean, that was that was probably the last great heat wave in France that I recall. I mean, you know, there was a, a lot of people dying from it, a lot of people, especially in, in retirement homes, um, uh, struggling with it. And that's, if you recall, where, you know, Lance Armstrong collapsed on the time trial down not far from, from where we're at right now. You know, it was, it was down around uh, Albi and, 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 and there. And, you know, and he lost all the time to Ulrich in the time trial and very, very nearly lost that tour. So that, that's the one that comes to mind when I think about heat first. But, and, and I was thinking about a, a quote Stephen Roach once told me right, when I was actually just starting out. He said, you know, the heat, it's just, it's sort of like there's certain riders, you know, they can handle it for one day, two days. But when it starts becoming a week, 10 days, it just starts to, you know, take its toll. And, you know, I got, I got you know, I just got COVID and I got to kind of be honest, I, I kind of wonder, it, you know, it breaks down your immune deficiencies and stuff. I mean, I got off the motor uh, Friday and I just felt so dehydrated. It was kind of dizzy. And I just went out to dinner um, and wanted to be alone because I just felt I didn't have any symptoms of COVID, but I just felt dizzy. And the next morning I woke up with COVID, but, you know, I think I was just so depleted. And I think the riders are, are experienced that at even higher levels, obviously, than, than I could pretend to, to experience that. So I'm not, I, I, yeah, I'm not a scientist, but I wouldn't even be surprised if the increase in COVID cases is, is not in some way related to the way the heat is playing on the, the, the immune systems of, of the riders. Yeah, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to stay hot as well. The forecast is that it'll be, you know, it'll be hot into the Pyrenees, hot through the Pyrenees, very hot again once we get to Cahors and uh, the Hocomador time trial. And it does, it wears you down and makes you tired. I mean, some riders deal with it better than others, but I think it, James is right, it, it does, it kind of reduces your, um, just lowers your immune threshold, your immune system a bit, makes you more susceptible to other infections or stomach problems or dehydration. You know, it's just drinking enough and making sure that you're getting the right balance of salts and, and, and nutrients when you're kind of dehydrated is also very complicated. So it's wearing the riders down. And the other thing that's wearing the riders down is you know, to get back to the original point, the the kind of crazy anarchy that is reigning over this tour. And, you know, we, we keep saying it, and I, I wrote a piece about this yesterday for the Ruler website. Um, we keep saying that, you know, there's a new generation of riders and they're more aggressive. But, you know, the style of racing now is, it's, it's non-stop. You just, it would be too simplistic to say the racing's just got crazier. I, I've been trying to dig down into why this would be the case. And I spoke to Rod Ellingworth and... Um, DS, uh, the team manager at um, the racing director at Ineos Grenadiers and Matt White, who's the DS at Bike Exchange, and tried to drill down into why, why the racing is like this. And I think because the level is so high these days and the tour is so important, I mean, Matt White described it as a fishbowl, um, and t- teams, are, teams are coming to the race strong and with ambitions. And having an ambition means you don't just go there to ride around on the flat stages you go there to like Trek did yesterday to make it really hard on a hill and you know it may have looked crazy like crazy racing yesterday but actually that what it was was Trek going into the race with a plan 
executing the plan and that having a knock-on effect onto every other team. You, we saw a lot of riders going out the back. And I think the craziness is just more teams coming here with more ambitions and to not just ride around for three weeks and to actually get stuck in, execute their own plans. And that's, that's, that's why it's going so bananas at the moment. We're going to take a break shortly, but let's um, talk a little bit more about Jumbo Visma because they, yeah, so far they have looked so strong and confident. Uh, Wout van Aert was still looking pretty good um, yesterday, um, but on the stage to Carcassonne, things did start to look a bit shaky, didn't they? Well, yeah, at first it started with him going back in another breakaway, and you're like, well, okay. Um, but then, you know, I don't think they obviously couldn't have uh, expected the craziness of, of the second half of that stage, losing a teammate. And it was funny, you know, I saw it on TV. Uh, now that I'm back home, I can actually watch the race. You know, and Koizuik was just so resigned. He said, ah, you know, he, he wasn't even crying or anything. He was just like, well, it's broken. Don't wait for me, you know, and get back to the yellow jersey and try to piece this together, you know. But they lost two big, big motors in the first half of the stage, one at the start when uh, World Blue City's not starting and now Koizuik unexpectedly. And all of a sudden between, you know, UAE and, 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 and Jumbo, it's kind of leveled the playing field. You know, Jumbo came, it was so strong and overwhelming and did such a great job of isolating Pogachar uh, in the Alps. But now, you know, I mean, I think Brandon McNulty's starting to come around. Solar's coming, riding better. Um, you know, I, it could very well be that, you know, it's a pretty much level playing field uh, when we go up into the Pyrenees again. But we're going to see how it happens. And then let's not forget, Let's not forget that, I mean, I think this is, you know, this is a terrible day for Jumbo yesterday, not just because they lost two teammates, but I think even though they were in control of this race, it would be impossible to be a director or anybody on the, you know, in in a position uh, of power on the Jumbo team to be racing, going, looking at the last 10 days of this race in the yellow jersey and not thinking back about two years ago. I think they're going to be very nervous between now and Paris because they know they thought they had it in the bag two years ago and they lost it in the last TT. And they know that this, this, this yellow Jersey is not theirs by any means. I agree. I think yesterday was the first real setback that Jumbo have had. They've actually ridden incredibly well up to now. And, you know, even with Wout van Aert doing Wout van Aert stuff and being a kind of agent of chaos, kind of setting off on his own things, which, you know, I'm sure the team are fine with it, getting a lot of publicity and stage wins from it. Um, But really, they've ridden a brilliant tour. And even the cobbled stage where it looked like, you know, they they were cracking under the pressure. They actually rode very, very well. I mean, Roglic came down in a crash and injured himself, and that's effectively what's put him out of the race. But, you know, that's bad luck. That's not their fault. And Vingegaard had a mechanical and it looked like Jumbo were in chaos. But when you look at the results that day, Jumbo pulled themselves together, paced Vingegaard back, mainly through the efforts of Van Aert. And he only lost a handful of seconds to Pogacar. So Jumbo, far from being headless chickens that day, actually saved, saved their tour or kept their tour very much alive. They've been dominant in the mountains you know, in different ways on stage 11 to the Col du Canon, which uh, Vingegaard won and on which Pogacar cracked. They worked Pogacar over good and proper, and they did it in an unpredictable, um, exciting, and, 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 and very impressive way, you know, going so early and working 
uh, Pogacar over. And then the next day, they did kind of the opposite. They they controlled the race very well. They had a mountain train. Um, no one dangerous allowed to get away. They let the break with Pidcock go ahead and take the stage and the bonus second. And, you know, Sepp Kuss was with Vingegaard right up to the last few K of outdoors, by which time Pogacar wasn't going to do any damage. And they've ridden well since then until yesterday, where, again, a bit of bad luck with the crashes. But, you know, Roglic pulled out in the morning before the stage. So, you know, he's still, unless he's, you know, I, you know they, the team know his injuries better than I do. And I presume there's a good reason for him to pull out. But they will miss him. And Kreisweich breaking his collarbone. You know, Kreisweich's an essential middle link in their kind of mountain chain that he he can get pretty deep into the mountain stages still with still with the leaders he's gone I mean he's Vingegaard's still in a good position he has Wout van Aert who's the best kind of rolling and flat stage rider there is in the tour and Sepp Kuss who's the best mountain domestique so his buffer plus those that fact is still keeps his you know he's still in a position of strength but I think the other teams will be looking at Jumbo and seeing vulnerability and Vingegaard, if they start doing to Vingegaard what Jumbo Visma and Vingegaard did to Pogacar, then the tour is still very much wide open. And, you know, yesterday, though it was down to bad luck, did change everything, I think, for the, for, for the team. We will take a break there and we're going to talk uh, more in a little while. Don't forget, you can go to ruler.cc and subscribe to the magazine. Who else is having a good tour Ola Shenwi, that's who. Why, hello there. Podcast interruption alert, but I will only take a few short moments to say that if you're enjoying this podcast, you will love the regular magazine. So if you're not a reader already, then you can subscribe at ruler.cc for as little as £6 per month. If you don't speak Northern Irish, that's six times 100 pennies. And for the price of a few coffees, you get regular columns from the wonderful Ned Bolting, myself, Orla Shinawi, and some of the very finest independent cycling journalism there is, all wrapped up in a wondrously beautiful publication. Go to ruler.cc. I'll leave you to it. You can get more out of your rides this summer. The Hammerhead Karoo 2 is the most advanced GPS cycling computer available with industry-leading mapping, navigation and routing capabilities. Free global maps with points of interest like cafe stops and campsites mean you can explore with confidence and on-the-go flexibility. Seamlessly and wirelessly import routes from Strava, Kamut and more. Change or reroute on the fly with turn-by-turn directions and upcoming climbs and descents, all in clear colour. For a limited time, Ruler listeners can get a free heart rate monitor with the purchase of a Hammerhead Carew 2. Visit hammerhead.io right now and use promo code RULERPOD at checkout. This is Ruler Conversations with me, Ian Parkinson, Ed Pickering in Carcassonne and James Start in Paris. Some of us, well, probably all of us, actually, remember Le Mans versus Fignon. Um, does the last week have a, have a bit of a feel of that to it? Yeah, I mean, the, the thing about Le Mans and Fignon in 1989 um, is still a bit different from this tour. 
No, I mean, I, I think it always will be. You know, the the, the sport and the, the tactical and strategic dynamics have changed so much that, you know, you can't really compare them as, as similar kind of races. But the thing about the 1989 tour, which, which you know, keeps it, in my mind, the greatest tour that there ever been, was the fact that it, it was like a game of tennis, you know, that the advantage swung backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards between Le Monde and Fignon throughout the race. And, you know, one one rider's good day would coincide with the other rider's bad day and one would gain the edge and then the other would pull back. And, you know, it just went like that all the way through the entire tour from the first, from the prologue, through the first time trial, through the Pyrenees, through the Alps to the final time trial. This is a little bit different because... I mean, though Pogacar has been very aggressive, you know, the, the, the lead has effectively been with Pogacar from the time he, he took it and then Vingegaard. And it's been less of a kind of backwards and forwards. But it's still, I think the race is still open. I, th- I think, you know, with, with three mountain stages to come on, plus a time trial, it's not just Vingegaard and Pogacar as well. I think Ineos Grenadiers have an opportunity to play a big part in this race. So it could, it could yet be up there with 1989. Well, we're not, we're not going to see as much of that back and forth. This is not going to be McEnroe against Bjorn Borg, you know, like it was with Fignon and, 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 uh, and, and, and Le Mans because, you know, right now, what, you know, when, when, when Pogacar d- dropped, he lost a significant kind of amount of time. It wasn't just 30 seconds. He's likely not going to get that back until the final trial trial. So there's just going to be this, but that, I mean, there's still going to be a huge cloud of suspense every time he takes back, 15 or 20 seconds here and there. It's kind of like, you know, when Delgado was battling it back, how much more time can you get back? Um, and then to keep him back, you know, get him back in the game. And, you know, Pogachar needs to get back a minute and 20 seconds before the last TT. And that's kind of what we're looking at. Um, if he can get, a, if he can bring that, that, that lead down to a minute going to the last TT, it's game on. It's going to be a really exciting finish. Let's talk about the uh, stage from Carcassonne to Foix, euphemistically described uh, as hilly. It's 180 kilometres. Temperatures drop a little bit according to the weather forecast, but it's still in the 30s. That is yet another hard day in the saddle, isn't it, before they even reach the Pyrenees? Yeah, I think it's going to be very, very exciting. But I'm talking about the temperature dropping. Um the stage itself will also be very good. It's it's lumpy. I mean, it's got two two category one climbs. One of which is very very steep, um, and upon which you know ride now ride a rider like Pogacar could try and try and make make the difference. So it is it is described as a middle mountain stage rather than high mountains, but that's not to say it's not a very hard stage indeed. And it's back back loaded. So those two final climbs will. Be exciting both when the break gets there and fights out the stage win, and when the GC riders get there and start to try and squeeze out bigger differences between themselves. Let's talk a bit about uh, Ineos. Uh, what's happening with Ineos? What's their plan? Do you think the situation is that they've got they're the only team with two riders up there in the GC. I mean, P- Pidcock's actually still up there; he's in ninth place overall. Um, but they've got two experienced. Grand Tour proven riders in the top five, and that puts them in a unique position. Neither Thomas nor Adam Yates looks as strong as Vingegaard or Pogacar. So in a straight fight, um, you know, it looks you know, Thomas looks like he's going to come third. But you know, Dave Brailsford promised um, a couple of years ago that the, the team was going to race more excitingly and not just do the same old tactics of 
riding safety first and 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 kind of to and defensively now is the time they've got three days to live up to that promise and I think that they've got a choice they can either carry on riding safely and get Thomas on the podium which would be a fantastic result and Yates will probably finish fourth or fifth maybe sixth I don't know it depends how the how the other climbs are doing um or they could go all in and risk all that risk third place and fifth place and ninth place which Picklock is in risk all of it for a possible win and you know will they do it I, I, I don't know. They have the opportunity to do it. And Dave Bailsford promised he would. So I think they should. Well, this goes back to uh, one of your stories about how to beat Pogachar, uh, Ed, which I thought was just tremendous. And, and again, that phrase that you used, um, if you're going to, you have to be willing to lose it all to win it all. And they've still got the numbers on their side. I mean, you know, if I, I you know, you launch Yates, he's probably the best rider, uh, you know, I mean, all eyes are obviously still on, on Garen since he's the highest place. So then you launch one of the other guys. And I think Adam's probably best place uh, for that. But who knows? You know, I mean, Pickaxe Johnny's going to go in the breaks. And, you know, if he gets off in a big break and they let him go, all of a sudden he gets a big advantage and he might not lose it. You know, or it might take him a lot, lot longer to lose it than we would expect otherwise. I think, I think he's in his first tour. I think the Pyrenees is going to be hard for him in the third week. But if you can get out into a breakaway – He'll be in a different, you know, you know, he'll be in a different zone altogether. My fantasy tour team is having an absolutely terrible time. I'm currently ninth out of nine players in my league, uh, and my star sprinter was Caleb Ewan, who's among a number of riders. He's having an absolutely dreadful tour, isn't he? And uh, this was a tour that he could have done really well in, um, and he's just had a, a terrible couple of weeks. Well, yeah, I agree. It's, uh, by no standards, um, is it, has it been a good tour? For him, and I feel really, Caleb's a really great guy, and I really feel bad for him. He had bad luck in the Giro, crashed last year in the Tour. I know we came back, and the whole team, you know, is pinning their hopes on on him, especially, um, especially since you know their position in the World Tour is, is in question. But it just that's bike racing, and it's it's been terrible. But the other thing is, um, this Tour once again has shown, like the Giro, you know, we're not seeing uh, races here. It's been a while, I think probably since the last time that Caleb came and won, what, three stages, that we've seen a sprinter really dominate. It's been, you know, a tour so far of a guy, every, almost every sprinter has had their day right now. None of them has been able to, to, to transition and translate into something else. My, uh, my cycling uh, velo games, uh, which I take very seriously, I had Jacobson. I thought for sure he was the guy that was going to get two, three, four stage wins. You know, maybe the Champs Elysees, but that's about where we're at now. You know, um, he's, he's he's obviously tired. He's you know the mountains are hard for him. I think he's done admirably well. But they're going to take it out of a young rider like that uh, going into Paris more than than some of the more experienced sprinters. So who knows if he's going to get it? I you know I don't know um, which sprinter is in the best situation to to repeat right now. Um, none of them have have you know been consistently there outside of Safe Van Art. Okay then, predictions for what's going to happen. Who is going to be on the top step of the podium in Paris? I think at Alpe as I, I said, it just looks like Vingegaard, Pogacar, Thomas in that order because those are the three strongest riders at the top in that order. Um, I think I'm still going to stand by that. However, I hope I'm wrong. I hope that it's you know something crazy happens and that you know the the 
top order of the GC is upended. But I still, you know, the Tour remains an endurance event at which the riders who have the best endurance tend to win. So, you know, I'll, I'll stick with that prediction. Well, I think I said uh, on Alpe d'Huez, ask me after Mon. Um, I thought the Mon climb was perfect for Pogacar to get 20 extra seconds or something because it's such a short, explosive climb. And he didn't. So obviously there's, you know, with, with uh, the losses that Jumbo has experienced yesterday, that, that changes things a bit. But um, I think that 2.20 is an awful lot of time to make up. So I'm gonna, I think the podium you see right now is a very good chance of being the podium we see in Paris. Get better soon, James. Um, Ed, enjoy the rest of the tour. There will be a tech podcast along uh, soon. Uh, We'll also be back at some point between now and the Champs-Élysées. So catch up then.